Let us pray. O Lord, our God, we ask for your Holy Spirit to enter into us and allow us to see what Psalm 13 is all about on this day. We know that faith leads to understanding. There is a degree to which the logic sort of breaks down and we have to be open to the fullness of who you are. I pray most earnestly that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts together will be acceptable to you. For you are our Lord and our Redeemer. Amen. You know, I don't know if I could live, if I could make it, if I didn't know that I could go to Christ with every part of my life. There are so many things that happen, that relief, that safety net, that encouragement in Christ is always there. But I'd be lying to you if I said that it's always easy to pray. Because there are those times when we're under great duress, when we are kind of fed up, when we're confused about what God is doing. And it's not easy to pray. Well, this little psalm, Psalm 13, addresses just this. And this is a prayer offered under the most fed up, weary, under duress conditions. With the very first initial words of Psalm 13, we learn that it's okay to be ourselves before God. And you hear that all the time from this pulpit, that we have to bring all of who we are to God. But I'm talking about our complete selves to God, not the false front, not the person we think God wants to hear or see or experience, but the sum total of our guts to God. It's okay, and it's not only okay, but it's necessary if we are to grow spiritually as human beings. In engaging with him as opposed to ignoring him, we engage in this intimate connection with our creator and discover what I just prayed about, that faith has its own logic. St. Augustine is one of our early theologians and an important person in our tradition. And he says, faith, leads to understanding and the way to have faith is to engage at some level any level that we can with god faith develops and strengthens in the process of grappling with god and this is what grappling looks like the psalmist writes how long O lord will you forget me forever it's a prayer of weariness that helps us understand the difficulty with patience, this virtue that many of us just long to develop. Well, it's not a virtue to be had if we don't trust that everything's going to work out, if we don't trust the outcome with the loving Father in control. If we don't understand that we don't know what tomorrow brings, but we know who holds the future, if that isn't part of our inner being and our inner life, then there will be anxiety and there will be impatience. How long will you hide your face from me? The psalmist continues. And there are times when it seems, according to our perceptions and our reality, that there is little or no evidence of a loving God. Give us an indication that you are with us. 
Give us an indication that you're here is the prayer. Give us the ability to see, discern the evidence, to see the evidence that you are here, the prayer says. You know, our Kenyan guests departed on Friday, and thanks to you and your prayers, it was a very successful visit, but there was one minor disappointment. They heard about our deer. In fact, I bragged about our deer. I said, you have elephants, but we have deer. And there are times during the day when I look out in the backyard and see like 20 of them. And I'm not kidding. They're there. They hang out in Americans' backyards. There, they saw no deer. And there was maybe a sketchy deer sighting or two that we sort of heard about, but the group together saw no deer. But as they were loading up to go to BWI, we had had a, a very moving closing prayer together. And one of the groups said, look! over there and against the backdrop of the woods across from my house was this huge beautiful huge pale doe staring at us and she just remained staring and i believe the timing was exquisitely precise because of god's loving providence the face of god when we're focused on our reasons for anxiety, we're closed off, we're shut off to God, we become impervious or oblivious to our surroundings. And there was a great sense of relief that all the planning, the trips, the dinners, the meetings with our Kenyan partners had gone well, and the anxiety lessens, and we could see the face of God standing in front of us in the form of a graceful animal. And then the psalmist continues... How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? And the enemy, of course, is most often and primarily ourselves. Because we are the ones who close off God, and we are the ones who blame. And the psalm tells us the distress is internal. Wrestle with my thoughts? No one makes us wrestle with our thoughts. No one. We do that to ourselves. Sometimes it feels like we have absolutely no control over the thoughts and the worries, but they have such a power that they actually can be an embodiment of an enemy. The belief that other people are our problem tears us apart. It rips our souls to shreds. Could the psalmist have known how beautifully, perfectly, precisely God through Christ would address this suffering of tortured thoughts that people have endured for centuries since time began. He says, Jesus Christ, stop blaming because that leads to judging other people. Examine the blockage that's actually in your own eye. But this is not to say that there aren't people who make life difficult. That would be an ignorant thing to say. And as I was thinking about this whole thing 
about enemies. Our worst enemies are ourselves. Our best enemies are the people who do strange things because we can actually use that to become strengthened and to grow in Christ. But some years ago, I gave a talk for Presbytery, and at the time, it, and it was about thriving churches and what makes some churches thrive and other churches, they wanted to know a how-to thing. So I gave this talk, and I got some good feedback at the time. But then something happened about a week later, and I was blasted, I mean blasted, by another pastor who sent this hurtful email throughout leadership in the presbytery, and it was irrationally scathing. So I thought, I didn't think, what a jerk. I thought, what did I do? Was I so insensitive? Was I being too strident? Was I overdoing it with the gospel message? He behaved as an enemy, and I became my own worst enemy. Truth is, if you do stand for something, and I remember one of the things I said, and it's not my words, this is in First Peter, this is in Romans, is that we must not be ashamed of the gospel. We must not be ashamed of what we believe. And I was so glad the way Jim read that passage this morning, because it said it clearly. We are sinners and we need Christ to save us. And that's it, folks. We cannot be ashamed of the gospel. And I remember saying that and it ignited something in that guy and some of the other people. But I learned something is that that guy was the best kind of enemy because the more atrocious, extreme, and irrational are the acts of the enemy, the less it is about you, the target. It's about them. The enemy is often ridiculous, and I chose that word deliberately. The enemy out there, ridiculous. The enemy within us, ridiculous. How long will an enemy triumph over me, the psalmist says. How long? And there's an answer to the psalmist's question. As long as we focus on the enemy instead of God, the enemy will triumph. But... As quickly as we pray, O oh Lord, and then add these two words, these powerful words, my God, with the possessive pronoun, my God. The relationship with God goes through an altercation. My God, those words will expand our souls. We may believe with an expanded soul that we can gain access to the big picture, to God's picture, and our need to take ourselves overly seriously drains away, and in this is immense relief. So the psalmist continues, give light to my eyes. In other words, show me the truth, your truth, not the enemy's truth. Dear Lord, show me your truth. Give light to my eyes. And Christ did say, I am the light of the world. Give light to my eyes, the psalmist wrote. Or I'm basically doomed. And then he describes what the internal thoughts are of the doomed. My enemy will say, I have overcome him. I won and my enemy will rejoice. Those are the thoughts 
of the doomed. When we, feel, when we fall flat on our face because we're bowled down by catastrophic expectation of what we think our enemies will do to us. But the psalmist prayed to my God. And we see the spirit come to his rescue. And we see the spirit infuse him with truth. Because after the grappling, and sometimes it takes a long time, but after the grappling comes the relief. But I trust in your unfailing love. And this is the love that we do not fully know about because we can only see it in a mirror dimly. And it is our calling, it is our mandate to offer as much of agape love. I'm not talking about romantic love or friendship love, but that steely, iron, agape love that is proactive, that comes from the body of Christ. That is our mandate, to offer this rich, full, powerful love to the world, to the hurting people who have made enemies of themselves and everyone who has made an enemy of themselves is in danger of being truly destructive. The power of agape love, his love for us is unfailing and his love for us covers the fact that this isn't that easy to understand the failure with us within us to understand how anyone could love us this much if we were all aware of how much we were loved at this moment we would be piles of melted people on the floor if we could understand how much we are loved at this moment, we would start singing his praises and we would not stop. It is so deep, it is so profound, it is so inclusive, no one is left out. No one. And that's the message. This is pre-Christ. Yet the writer of this psalm knew that there would be salvation and trusted that there would be a means of salvation. With the unfailing love of God, it could be no other way. We don't have to earn his love. That's part of the agape love. It is not conditional. And one of the beauties of infant baptism, of covenant baptism, of Anthony, is that he did not have to earn a thing. He is a baby. We have given him to God and he will be loved by the congregation. And right before this worship service, someone gave a testimony to me about what it means to raise a child by this congregation. So I will sing to the Lord, erupts from the heart of the psalmist. I will sing to the Lord for he has been good to me because renewal and rebirth and hope has been purchased for us through sacrificial love. And we can trust this with our best enemies. Let us pray. Thank you, dear Lord, for your presence with us. Thank you in ways we don't know how to express. Thank you for the ways that you are consistently, lovingly with this congregation. Open our hearts to as much of you as we can take in. And be with us now. 
as we continue to worship you through the giving of our offering. Amen.